the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now listen, in other words, they wanted a Barabbas. What did Barabbas do? He was a man of action. He was a hero to them. Rome may have considered him a criminal, but no Jew considered anybody who took on Rome a criminal. They wanted a man like Barabbas who would fight against Rome rather than a Jesus who came riding on a little donkey. And they must have thought that's pitiful. One problem many people have with Jesus is that he is not what they think he should be. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue his three-part message on the reasons why people reject Jesus. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These verse-by-verse Bible classes are adapted from his pulpit messages. In previous classes, we have considered the reasons why the Jewish leaders hated Jesus, why Governor Pilate went along with their wish that Jesus die, and now we are looking into the reasons the crowd wanted a real criminal, Barabbas, to be released instead of Jesus. Our main text is Mark 15, but for right now, let's look at Matthew chapter 27. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, While Pilate's attention was focused on his wife's message, the Jewish leaders are taking advantage of the crowd. They are stirring up trouble. Notice verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. So, the Sanhedrin dispersing amongst the crowd, and apparently a good-sized crowd had gathered at this, at this point. When, when the initial trial started, it was probably five, uh, maybe six in the morning. Now it's gone a little bit later, and the people have gathered. And they persuaded the people. Mark says they stirred up the people. They, stir, they aroused them to ask for the release of Barabbas and the death of Jesus. Now, from this point on, the scene becomes quite ugly. It becomes a mob mentality. They become a raging mob shouting for the crucifixion of Christ. So we turn back to Mark's gospel and we see that. And when you're going through the gospel accounts, you have to put them together. Verse 12, And answering again, Pilate was saying to them, Then what shall I do to, to him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate was saying to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And wishing to satisfy the multitude, and you see there's the cowardice of of Pilate, satisfying the multitude because he couldn't afford another complaint. Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. Now, not only is this a horrible scene, but it is is especially puzzling and even frightening when you remember that just five days earlier, the crowd had hailed Jesus as he came into Jerusalem from Galilee. We call it the triumphal entry. Only five days earlier, you know what the scene was? Mark chapter 11. Let's just turn there. Mark 11, verse 7. This is just five days, 
five days prior to this, this is what they're saying. And they, and they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on him and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments on the road and others spread leafy branches, really palm branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, came into the temple, and after looking around, he departed for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. John's gospel says not only did people follow him, but they came out from Jerusalem. Remember, there were pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. Millions of Jewish people from all around the area, all around Israel, would come to Jerusalem for the feast. So not only were, were people following him, the Galileans from the north, coming into Jerusalem, but John tells us that many people from Jerusalem were going out to greet him. And they took palm branches and they laid it before him, and they basically were welcoming him as Messiah. The term uh, Hosanna means save now. They welcomed him as their conquering hero. Now the question is, and it's been puzzling to people, how could these people who had just hailed him as Messiah and Savior five days later turn around and scream for him to be crucified? Some say that's impossible. It's impossible. And one of the solutions they give, one suggestion is that this is a different crowd, they say. It's a different crowd than the one that greeted him on Palm Sunday. And the way they try to reconcile this is to say that it was the Galilean pilgrims who were on Sunday shouting, Hosanna, and on Friday, it was the Jerusalemites who were shouting, crucify him. Now, I don't think that's a solution. And I think there may be some truth to it, but I don't think it's a solution. Not everyone was, uh, who was hailing him on Sunday was hating him on Friday. That's, that's true. Not everyone. But this crowd was basically the same. It was a combination of people. How do I know that? It was a mixed crowd. Well, if you look at Mark 15, verse 40 and 41, you'll see that there were Galilean women in the crowd. Doesn't mean that, by the way, that everyone in the crowd was shouting this, but the multitude was. And there were also some women looking on from afar, that is the crucifixion now, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the less, and, and Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. So if there were Galilean women there, it only makes sense that there were Galilean men there, even though the text doesn't specifically spell that out. Also, I would have you to look at Mark chapter 12, verse 37. Mark chapter 12, verse 37. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's teaching. And he said, David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? He's been giving a talk about David being, uh, saying that, that his Lord would also be his Messiah and his descendant. And notice the end of verse 37. And the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. This is not just Galileans. He's in Jerusalem. This is a mixed crowd. People from Galilee, people from Jerusalem, people from Judea. They're all there. It's a mixed crowd. The people enjoyed listening to him. So what you have to say is this, and you have to conclude that something happened between Sunday and Friday that absolutely diametrically changed their opinion of Jesus. Something happened that changed their attitude about Christ. And it is this change of attitude that reveals the first reason why this crowd rejected Jesus. If you're taking notes, I'll spell it out for you very simply. Number one, they were disappointed with Christ. They were disappointed in him. 
He wasn't what they expected. They were disappointed in Jesus Christ. When they had welcomed him on Sunday, they were expecting him to deliver, deliver them from Rome. That's why they said Hosanna, which means save now. They were not thinking about salvation from sin. They were thinking about salvation from Rome, physical deliverance. Deliver us from Rome now, Rome's bondage. They saw him as a conquering Messiah warrior who would defeat their enemies. They hailed him as the son of David, but the son of David who would act like David did in defeating the enemies of Israel. They wanted a man who would lead them against Rome, crush the empire, liberate their oppressors. Now listen, in other words, they wanted a Barabbas. What did Barabbas do? He was a man of action. He was a hero to them. Rome may have considered him a criminal, but no Jew considered anybody who took on Rome a criminal. They wanted a man like Barabbas who would fight against Rome rather than a Jesus who came riding on a little donkey. I mean, they must have thought that's pitiful. Even though Zechariah predicted that's how he would come, they must have thought, that's pathetic, riding on a little donkey. We want a man of action. We want a Barabbas. You see, their view of Messiah was one who uh, would do what they wanted Not what Scripture said, what they wanted, and one who carried out their demands. They wanted one who fit into their interpretation of theology. But when Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and then beaten, they weren't interested in him. He was a disappointment to them. He wasn't their idea of a king. They were completely disappointed in him. He didn't meet their expectations. That's what's going on here. It wasn't a different crowd. It was the same crowd, basically, But uh, they were disappointed. They were disillusioned. They said, we don't want him. He's a failure. Now, this was nothing new for Christ. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and maybe put a little bookmark there, because Jesus had experienced this type of rejection before, not to this intensity and this degree, but this experience wasn't new for Christ. In John chapter 6, earlier in his ministry, he's in Galilee, And verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude was following him. Why? Because they were seeking or seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. These people were following him uh, because they were fascinated with his healing ministry. That's, That's their reasons. There were people who had seen him heal their neighbors and friends and loved ones, and so they're following him, not because they know he's God, not because they believe he's he's a Messiah who deals with sin. They're following him because he healed people, and they want to cash in on this. Now, notice verses 3 and 4. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. This was another Passover, not the one we're looking at in Mark. So he went away with his disciples, but the crowd found him. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 14 and show you something. Now therefore, now Jesus therefore lifting up his eyes and seeing what a great multitude was coming to him. See, he tried to get away, but the multitude found him. He said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. What he was intending to do is feed this crowd. And there was probably about 15,000 people in this crowd. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, 
have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. The reason I say there are probably 15,000 is because the men numbered in 5,000. There were probably women there and children, so we're just estimating that maybe there was 15,000. Jesus therefore took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, maybe <laughs> even leftovers, and that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which are leftover and those who, from those who had eaten. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is of a truth the prophet who is to come into the world. Now the people were thrilled when Jesus fed them. And they said, you know, Moses back in Deuteronomy said that God would send the prophet just like me, like Moses. And they said, now he's here because Moses was involved in the wilderness, the feeding of the thousands of Jewish people. He fed them manna. Actually, God fed them manna, but it was Moses involved in that. And another, like Moses, is here. The prophet is here. And he's feeding us. So, oh, they thought this was great. But look at this fascinating verse. The next one, verse 15. Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. What an interesting verse. The people perceived Christ as the one who would deliver them from Rome, as Moses delivered them from Egypt. And Jesus, because he is God and knows all things that go on in people's hearts and minds, knew that they were planning to grab him and even take him by force if they had to and storm Jerusalem with, uh, storm Jerusalem right and, uh, with their king as they would defeat the, the Roman soldiers. That's what's going on in their mind. But Jesus withdrew. You say, why would he withdraw? Isn't he the king? Right. Uh, hasn't he been presenting himself as Messiah and king? Right. And why would he withdraw? Because he knew that they only wanted a king who healed them and a king who fed them and a king who met their physical, all their physical needs and that's not the kind of king that Jesus is. And the proof that they weren't interested in a king who says, I demand loyalty, I demand obedience, I demand that you forsake sin and walk in righteousness. The proof of this is that when Jesus spoke to them the very next day, which we call the bread of life discourse, about commitment, about discipleship, about following him, you know what they did? They turned away. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, he's saying, you seek me not because the signs led you to believe that I was the coming Messiah so much as you were seeking me because I filled your little tummies. And you liked that. And it was free. Verse 41. The Jews, therefore, and now Jesus has given them his discourse, the Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, how does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm divine, I'm deity. And they said, wait a minute, we think we know his parents. It's one thing to feed us, but another thing to claim that you're deity. And so they're turning away from him. Finally, it all culminates in verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. And they weren't real disciples. John is using that term loosely. 
many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him any more. These were fickle followers. That's tough to say, by the way. Don't try to say that fast. These were very fickle people who left Jesus when they realized that he wasn't a, a, going to be a free fast food restaurant for them. They left him. When he started speaking about those issues and explaining what kind of a king that he really is, they said, I don't think we're interested. No, no, we want a free meal. We want to be healed. See, he no longer met their expectations. He was a disappointment to them, and so they withdrew from him. And listen, today, the reason that so many people today continue to reject Jesus Christ is that he disappoints them. He disappoints them. They expected him to do something for them that he didn't do. They, they prayed some type of a prayer and made a profession of faith because they wanted him to take away their depression or their feelings of anxiety. They wanted peaceful feelings. They were disturbed. Or they wanted him to heal a broken marriage or fix an overpowering problem. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And they're disappointed in him to the point that they're just going to forget about him. If he won't do these things for me, then who needs this Christianity stuff? And they walk away. They have no need for him. The only reason they initially were attracted to him is because they had a need other than salvation. They didn't think about salvation. They had a need for something temporal in this life, and Jesus didn't do it for them, and so they have no longer a need for him. You see, they were initially attracted to Christ for the wrong reason. They wanted him to bring them immediate satisfaction, instant gratification. And when he didn't, they took off. Forget this Christianity stuff. I want, to, I want you to, to see an illustration of this in Mark chapter 4. Because there are many people like this today, and, and, and we see and hear about professions, and you wonder, well, why, why didn't they go on with the Lord? Because they never were attracted to him for the right reasons to begin with. Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is giving a parable of the sower and, and the soils, and it's really a parable intended to say that, that there are different responses to the gospel in this age. In this church age, there are various responses to the gospel, and the Lord outlines what kind of response in this age people are going to give. Chapter 4 of Mark, verses 1 through 5, And he began to teach by the seashore, and such a, a very great multitude gathered before him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the multitude were by the seashore on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables. He was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And it came about that as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Verse 5 says, and other seed, and that's what we want to look at, the other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. Now, the seed represents the word of God. We don't have time to look at all this, but the seed, he says, represents the word of God. And the soil represents various heart attitudes, various uh, attitudes of the heart in, in, in their response. Notice verse 14. He says, the sower, and now he's going to give explanation, by the way, to his disciples who didn't have a clue as to what he was talking about. The sower sows the word. And he says in verse 16, 
In a similar way, and here's his interpretation, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. Some seed fell on some very rocky ground. Uh, who, when they hear the word, and this is people, he's not really talking about soil, but people who hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. You know people like that. They hear the gospel, they hear something about Jesus, and they spring at it. They are attracted to that message, and immediately they receive it with joy, and oh, they're so happy, and it's wonderful. Verse 17 says, and they have no firm root in themselves. It's an emotional decision. They haven't thought this thing through. They don't understand about repentance. They don't understand about genuine faith. They, they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. You see, they show something that looks like growth, but it's not really growth. Just like when uh, he says in verse 5 that when the seed falls on rocky ground, it, it, not much soil there, immediately it springs up. But then when the sun comes out, goes away. That's what he says in verse 17. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. The rocky soil refers to a heart that looks like a real believer, but it's not a real believer because it's only temporary. And you can't have temporary salvation. Salvation is, is secure. It's forever. They fall away when the tough times come because of persecution, because of affliction. Something that, uh, that they didn't bargain for. And, and they probably feel, listen, it's one thing to go to church and sing hymns. It's another thing to get persecuted for this stuff. So they don't want anything to do with Christ. That's it. They weren't interested in obedience to the word uh, that, that might result in persecution. Nobody ever told them about that or they didn't listen to that. They just wanted a Christ who gave them what they wanted they didn't, and they don't want problems. They have enough of their own. Listen, many people reject Christ because he's not what they're looking for. It's as simple as that. They don't want a king who demands loyalty. They don't want a king who demands that they address their sin. They don't want a king who says, you need to be devoted to me and you need to be obedient to me. They don't want a king like that. They want a God who gives them the warm fuzzies. You know what I mean? They want a God who makes them feel good about themselves. They want a God who tells them to only think positive and to have great self-esteem. Like that's the, the real meaning in life, to feel good about yourself, to be happy. That's the kind of God they want. They, they, they want sort of a cosmic genie that they can just rub and say, I'm going to make a wish, and you fulfill it. That's what they want in Christ. And listen, there are a lot of accommodating teachers. There are a lot of teachers who tickle the ears of people, and they give them all kinds of rotten doctrine, like uh, Jesus wants everybody healed. And so they go to him for healing, and he doesn't do it. And they say, I'm very disillusioned. That's not the Jesus that I want. Or they, they hear that Jesus will make everybody happy and wealthy. And if you're a child of the king, you ought to go first class on everything. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. And that's just not the way the Lord's going to operate in their life. And they're going to be very disillusioned and disappointed with him. So there are a lot of, of really poor teachers that will accommodate people looking for a cosmic genie. But listen, beloved. Jesus isn't that kind of a king. And don't fall into the trap of presenting him to people in such a way that accommodates their, their sin. That's very important for us to understand. You don't tell people, you don't water down the gospel to make it more palatable to them. And a lot of people do that. 
tell them who Jesus is and don't water down the gospel to, to make it easier for them and more appealing. You know, Jesus didn't do that. I always marvel at the fact that, that the rich young ruler walked away and Jesus let him walk away. You realize that? We would have never done that. Most, most evangelicals, I should say, would have never done that. They would have said, wait a minute. You didn't understand me correctly. Did I say it was tough? Did I say you had to deal with your sin of covetousness? Listen, that'll happen later on. You just pray a prayer and it'll all work out. Now, Jesus didn't do that. The Bible says he loved him, but he let him walk. Some medicines just taste bad, don't they? But they do a lot of good in spite of the bad taste. However, if we dilute the medicine to make it more palatable, it won't do any good at all. In fact, it could even make things worse. The same is true with the gospel. It has a bad taste to many people, and it is tempting to water it down to make it more attractive. But then, it isn't really the gospel. Pastor Steve Kreloff will conclude this three-part message on why people reject Christ when we meet again for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For over 28 years, God has used him to challenge that congregation, and now, through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries, his practical messages are available to the listeners of this great station. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are grateful for the listeners who pray for us and whose financial support keeps us on the air. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Pruden inviting you to join us next time for the conclusion of this lesson from Mark chapter 15. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.